Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Jacinth Liu. Jacinth is a mother, teacher, parenting coach, founder of Our Little Play Nest and currently teaches a positive parent learning series and workshops for parents. She has a wonderful line from yelling to connecting, how to be your best when your kids are at their worst, which we can all relate to. Today we are chatting with Jacinth about her journey of being a parenting coach, being creative, teaching and so much more. Welcome Jacinth, thank you very much for joining us today on our Education Tips with EDX Education. It's so lovely to have you here today as a teacher, a parenting expert and also the founder of Our Little Play Nest. Now can I ask you to tell our listeners today about a little bit about Our Little Play Nest? Thank you for having me here. So our little play nest is a social media account that I set up mainly to document the play journey that I have with my children. It all began when I had my son in 2014. And while I was teaching in a school, I decided to take a break and spend time with my son at home. And you know, you can take the teacher of the classroom, but you can't take the classroom out of the teacher. <laughs> so <laughs> my son, yeah, he became my student. So I continued teaching him and I started to document how we play at home. And as I meet more and more like-minded parents online who believe in using a play to help the little ones to learn, our Little Play Nest became a platform to champion the value of play and to share really simple and meaningful activities to inspire other parents. And along the way, this account has become more of a positive parenting and a play-based learning account because I had some teaching knowledge. I taught for more than 10 years and I'm still you know, giving a tuition and helping other children. And because of my knowledge in brain-based education, which I did when I was a teacher, I combined that with what I learned about early childhood development. And that's how I use this account to share bite-sized tips for parents to learn, you know, actually it's not that difficult to practice positive parenting and to be respectful to your children, to communicate with them and at the same time set boundaries. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's very entrepreneurial what you've done. You've, you know, taken the teaching in the classroom and then you've combined it to be so flexible. I probably, you know, a few years ago when actually work wasn't as flexible, whereas now it's probably a lot more flexible after the year of 2020, I think. But it's been amazing. What was your inspiration at the start? Well, at the beginning, I have no intention to turn this into any form of business. All I wanted to do is to help other parents who struggle with, you know, communicating with their children when their kids are throwing tantrums, they don't know what to do. And I know how tough it is because I was one of those parents who kept yelling at the children because I don't know what else to do. I felt so powerless. The reason why we yell because there's no other way that we can do to get our kids, you know, to obey us. When they start to become defiant, we, felt, we feel that it is our fault or we are not good parents. But the truth is that children go through developmental phases where they have to test boundaries. They have to throw a tantrum. They have to. This is part of learning. And because I realized that it is never the parents' fault, the parents are also learning, that is why I started to teach parents. I started with in-person workshops before COVID. 
So I had like batches of parents coming, we were together in a room and we start chatting and we realized that all of us share similar problems. And that's where I came up with this framework to simplify things for parents and to help them see that they can connect with their children in simple ways when they understand how they develop. I love that. I think every parent can relate to that. I know myself, I was home working full time with a three and a 10 year old. So very different learning what they're learning and doing homeschooling for the three and the 10 year old. And I think every parent can relate to this line, which is from yelling to connecting, how to be your best when your kids are at their worst. I, you know what, I've, I think I've cut my three-year-old's toast the wrong way. I think he wanted squares and I did triangles. And that was one of the biggest tantrums in this house, which, you know, it was, I mean, it's kind of a nice thing to have a tantrum about because it wasn't that negative. However, you know, these are the strategies. What would you say in those situations so for a parent? He likes his toast to be, um, what, square? Squarish? Yeah, squares, not, not triangles. Yeah, right. So to him... That is what makes him happy. And at this age, he wants to gain autonomy. He wants to gain power. He wants to be in control of the situation. That's what his brain is telling him. Now, when the toast turns out to be a different shape, an adult can understand that it is still bread because <laughs> we are using our logical thinking brain to process that information. However, for a toddler who's prefrontal cortex is not as developed, he will not be able to rationalize. He has no ability to do so, not because he doesn't want to, but his brain is still developing. So to him, he is feeling upset because his emotional brain takes over. And when he is upset about it, unfortunately, they do not know how to express themselves. So the way they communicate with us is through their behavior. So they start yelling, crying, kicking, throwing a tantrum and being really angry about it because of these big feelings that are overwhelming them, but yet they do not know how to reach out to their parents to explain to their parents that they really want the toes to be in a square shape. It's not their fault. If we can see that behaviours are communication, that our children are trying to send us messages to their behaviours, we don't have to yell at them to get them to listen to us we listen to them instead. So we become more compassionate while we parent with the brain in mind. Now, I'm not saying that you are going to change the shape of your toast into a square shape when it's already a triangle shape. But what we can do first is to let the child know that we hear them and we see them. You really wanted the toast to be a square shape. You, didn't, you don't want mommy to turn it into a triangular shape. You like square, you don't like triangle. Now, when you say this, your child finds that you understand him. Okay, mommy knows what I want. Now, your next step is when the child has kind of calmed down and you tell him that, what can we do now? Unfortunately, I have turned the toast into a triangle shape. Do you have any brilliant idea so that we can perhaps make it back into a square shape? Or if not, is there anything else that we can do? I mean, that sounds that's like changing the perspective as how, or as adults, but also, I mean, what about, so as you're I like how you're saying is that you wait for the child, you know, they're seeing red at the moment and they've got, you've got to wait for them to come back down, to calm down, to be able to have that conversation with them. Um, but I suppose there's a lot of children that don't have the verbal skills at that age as well. And I, there was a really good article that you had 
um, on your blog, which was about positive, it was about connection and guidance instead of punishment. So that you connect with a three to five year old instead of punishing them. So is there different strategies and how did you sort of figure all this out? Was it research? Yeah. Was it? Uh, yeah, through research, reading, I read a lot of books and with my own experience as well as the, um, the students that I have when they share with me their stories and we try to troubleshoot and we come up with solutions to kind of help the kids. Do you find yeah. that you have, so now you're obviously doing a lot of it on Zoom or is uh, Singapore open and everything you're able to do parenting classes again? Unfortunately, we can't really hold um, workshops with um, too many people. So I'm still doing it online through Zoom, which is not a bad thing really because parents can do it at their own time. Yeah. So when they're busy, they can watch the videos after, after dinner when the kids are asleep or on weekends when they can get some help to look after the children. So Jacinta, this is the um, positive parenting learning series that you have. So how does that work? If I, if I was, you know, say, for example, having quite a difficult time with my, say, three to five year old, would you have, do you have a series for each one or my nine to 10 or even my zero to 13 months or anything like that? Is there a different series for each age? I have one, yeah, I have one positive parenting learning series because what I teach are skills and strategies that can help children of um, varied ages. Of course, the way you apply it can be different. So in the learning series, which is essentially a free email course where I send bite-sized um, actionable strategies to the inboxes of my, my subscribers. And I share all things parenting and play, like how to manage meltdowns, teaching them how to take turns, how to discover the children's love language, some alternatives to punishment, or how to use play to practice emotional regulation, empathy, and also how to set limits. I share case studies as well as broadcast the solutions that um, I share with parents in my course or when parents ask me questions I will share the solutions to everyone in the learning series as well so like I say it is a strategy based it's not like um, specific to an age group let me give you an example like when I talk about connecting with the children so the way you speak to your say six-year-old will be different to the way from the way you speak to your maybe 18 months old so for your 18 months old you can sign you can offer choices, you can use drawings to get the children to feel empowered as they make choices. However, for your six-year-old, you can empower your six-year-old to tell you what he wants to do. So the idea is to empower the children, but the specific steps to take will be different for every age group. But in this Positive Parenting Learning Series, I give you like a broad overview of what you can do. And I recommend books or even articles to help parents, you know, see that it is not that difficult if you take action, you learn, and that's how you can navigate parenting with confidence. That's such an amazing thing and thing to offer parents, especially new parents. I mean, what are the main concerns you find with new parents? They are really lost. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all lost sometimes. Especially when the kids start having emotional outbursts, which are tantrums. Now, many parents think that tantrums uh, means that the child is not uh, developing well, the child's having some problems. 
the truth is that tantrums are a way of children for children to externalize their emotions. We don't want them to internalize it. The ideal situation is for children to verbalize, but it is a long process and I want parents to know that take baby steps. Don't feel that once your kids are crying, it means that um, you, know, you have to stop the behavior. If you can view these tantrums as a way of communication, then you can spend time firstly to calm the child down. And this is backed by science. In fact, for adults, you can't speak to an adult who is agitated and you, when you want to convey your message, you've got to wait for the adult to you know, be in a receptive state where you can convince him. So similarly for little children, you have to give them time to calm down and move them from reactivity to receptivity. So that's one big concern from many parents, especially new parents, when the kids throw tantrums, they don't know what else to do. Is that manual? Other? The manual yeah. doesn't come with the children. That's why we're all so lost. <laughs> Yes, no, that's what I thought so too, Hida. But I realized that there are manuals, so-called, if we read the right books and we learn. You know, parenting is not something that is instinctive to many. We think that, oh, you will know how to parent, but really it is a learned skill. So you can read up more, understand more about child's development. You don't even need to be an educator to do that. You can just pick up a parenting book and read and if you read across many books, you realize that there are many similar um, trends and explanations. And that's where you start to see it for yourself as you, you know, observe it in your children. Every day you are experiencing how they communicate with you, how they throw a tantrum. You can understand why they behave in a certain way if you are an informed parent. Yeah, absolutely. I know that, you know, we lived in Singapore for many years, my husband and I with my small, with one of my children, he went to school, actually went to a nursery there, sort of your early years nursery, because I was working at the time. Now, I know there was a big culture, though, of people having nannies. Do you do anything for, say, for example, extra carers? Could be the grandmother, it could be the nanny, or it could be anyone else, not just the caregiver, more than actually the mother or the father. Is there any other courses that you do for these or any suggestions for them? Interestingly, in my latest batch of students, I have one grandmother Indeed. who joined the course and I was really, really impressed by how committed she is. So she watched all the videos, she went through the workbook and she asked me lots of questions. There was a one-on-one -on -one call that I took with her and I could really feel how much she wants to change for her grandson. So she was brought up um, being an authoritarian parent herself yeah. and she realized that um, her daughter is not is not um, cooperating and she's very defiant and she kind of blame herself. The grandmother is blaming herself for not listening, for not showing love to her own children. And as I speak to her, I realize it's, it's really quite sad to see that actually we just need to you know, educate parents about this. So for my course, I do, I do teach parents how they can communicate with their own parents, so which are the grandparents of the child and uh, I provide resources. Some parents, um, some grandparents are Chinese speaking while yeah. I try my best um, to, to you know, provide information but I, I do direct resources to them to help the grandparents see that um, you know, what positive parenting is all about and while they are brought up in a different way, they can change the way they communicate with their grandchildren.
Absolutely, that's such an important thing because they're probably the main caregivers while the parents are working as well. So they're spending a lot of time with the children. I mean, you, you, you are, well, you are a teacher still, but when you're actually teaching in the system at a school, do you feel that the education system is catering for our child, children's futures through play-based learning? I taught in a secondary school where the kids are older. However, there is an increasing emphasis on getting children to learn through problem solving, critical thinking, as well as the use of um, manipulatives because I teach mathematics. So even when we teach algebra, we use LGDIS. Yeah. Okay. So, so there can... is a hands-on element in teaching as well. And I kind of think that that, that is play as well. You know, for them to uh, manipulate the the objects and also to solve problems and create hypotheses and try to think of how they can translate what they learn to the actual problems that they, they are given. So, yeah, we always say to have something concrete in the hand, you know, so you, you learn 20% by listening, you learn 40% by you know um having it spoken to, by reading it and listening then you learn something like 80 percent if you've got a concrete material in your hands as well so yeah well we're very much an advocate of um say having any sort of manipulative in anything even communication and language as you're saying as you're saying before with children through play now you know i know that you, how old are your children now are they um they, my son is six my daughter is four so there, so now I suppose the other question is for you is what do you believe is important for children to gain for school readiness? You mean during COVID or? Just in general, like, I mean, I think that COVID will bring out a lot of gaps in um, schooling in areas that we have, say, for example, haven't built the resilience for children. However, for school readiness, after COVID, before COVID, what do you think is important for children to learn to be able to go into a school setting? For me, I believe that social-emotional development is the most important. So in terms of emotion regulation and knowing um, what to do when they are upset, when their friends maybe take their pencils or when they are lost, they, are they you know, able to speak to the teacher? And the social part is when, you know, when you're in a school with um, many other children, you've got to be more aware and think for others as well as how to put yourself in the shoes for others. So I think the school readiness part for me, I would definitely prepare my kids more on the social emotional part instead of the academic part. And as for children who are going back to maybe physical schools, to be ready for the schools, the parents will have to communicate with the children, let them know that when the child is in school, mommy and daddy, we are at work, but when you're done with school, we're going to come back and pick you. I'm talking about maybe toddlers who are still experiencing separation anxiety. I just want to let parents know that it's okay for your kids to cry when you're leaving them. In fact, separation anxiety is a good thing. It means that children are able to form quality relationships with others and it helps with the emotional regulation for children to know that you know, they will still see their parents by the end of school. And this back and forth changes in emotions are part of the emotion regulation. And the next part about getting them ready for school in terms of the social part is teaching them how to articulate their feelings and their thoughts. Children can 
communicate with you through their drawings, through their pictures, through um, colors, telling, telling you how they feel today. Perhaps they feel red today because red um, you know, represents anger to them. So you need your children to be able to communicate with you and release those pent-up emotions in them. When they go to a strange environment, when they're starting to find a new no positive association um, at home you know they look at parents and they feel safe but in school they got to find someone else who is study going to be their teachers and they're still learning how to form the relationship with their teachers and if we talk about school readiness for virtual schools like um, you know kids are being at home i think there has to be some kind of schedule and rhythm and this has to be communicated to the kids from the beginning and in fact if your kids are older i strongly encourage you to get you know the children to be involved in planning their schedule and use this opportunity to teach children about discipline and being responsible and, you know, setting limits, especially with the usage of screens. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the most, I think that's a, one of the things that parents have struggled with this year. So we were doing an interview with a lady called Shannon Penrod from Autism Live, and she was telling us in the USA, it was, they had to do 240 uh, minutes a day the schools the teachers did with their children if they're doing virtual learning i mean and that was even for as young as five and six so oh. can you imagine your six-year-old being on the screen for 240 minutes i was gonna say hours but 240 minutes a day i mean i know that my children would struggle my 10 year old would struggle let alone my five you know three-year-old he wouldn't be able to do it um i think that's one parent if you've got any tips for parents to try and i suppose advocate independent play and not be on the screen, what would they be? I'm not an advocate of screens. I always tell parents to keep children away from screens because they're so addictive and yeah. it affects the brain development as well. It's an overstimulation and it's a one-way kind of learning. So in terms of um, getting children to play independently, I think it is, it is important for you to set boundaries about screens. It is not up to the kids and they lack impulse control at this age. In fact, some adults, we lack impulse control as well, right? So you cannot expect the young ones to know that, all right, I'm done watching the TV and now it's time for me to do my homework or time to play my, my magnetic towels. No, they can't. They will continue watching it over and over again. And it doesn't help that some shows are, you know, um, live. So you can keep watching them. <laughs> it will not end. So I would say stay away from the screens as much as you can. You are the adult and you can make the decision. As for how to develop children who are independent, playing independently, I, I will recommend you setting up little corners of the house with the toys that they like. And it doesn't mean that you have to leave them alone in the room to play independently. You can still be beside them, you know, doing your laundry or cooking. The kids can just be sitting on the kitchen floor and, you know, building some structure. That is a kind of independent play as well. So you've got to take like baby steps to let them, you know, experience five, 10 minutes of play and celebrate it to let them know that, wow, you are able to build this structure on your own. I'm so proud of you to do that. Now, then the next day, you extend a 15 minute, 20 minutes play. And that is how you can build that you know that um, play with the things that they're interested in absolutely i suppose you've had your children you've been you know, stay at home also you've been dealing with a lot of parents around the world um what are the top five activities that you do in your house every week to keep your children occupied just say it's a really rainy day because it does rain in singapore <laughs> definitely uh, um in fact there are dark clouds right now <laughs> <laughs> What are the top five? I know you do a lot of arts and crafts and things like that, but what are the top five if you've got multiple ages 
aged children to try and get them to play together and not make it too complex, make it simple? I would say read first. Firstly, I would encourage parents to read to their children as much as they can. So the top five activities, firstly, is to provide a print-rich environment. So get the children to read, read to them. And you can create play activities based on the books that they have read. So perhaps a story on the three little pigs. What I did with my children after that was to um, pretend to be the pigs and to build three different houses made of straw bricks and wood. So I you know, took their Lego bricks, I took um, some straw, like real drinking straws and oh. um, some wooden, wooden sticks that I found at home. And we started building them with um, tape, with um, you know, like glue or something. And we tested out to see if the, you know, which house is the strongest by using a hairdryer. So we'd switch on the hairdryer and we start to blow. What a great activity. Yeah, so it was really fun because the kids can see the context. And they, they really enjoy it. And it's part of um, science as well, right? STEM, <laughs> to get them to build. Yeah, so this is one way. So using books. And the second thing I always encourage is to kids to do um, some kind of open-ended play. So it can be, you know, pretend to be cooking in the kitchen or um, building magnetic tiles or blocks, um, getting them to have free play, unstructured play, and don't interrupt them. So let them have their thoughts. Don't impose your ideas on them to tell them, oh, you have to build it in this certain way because they have their own ideas and we don't want them to always rely on us to know how to play. So you don't want to play for the kids. You can play with the kids alongside them. Mm. Yeah, so that's the books, open-ended play. And thirdly, I think you can do some kind of tinkering. Tinkering where you provide little um, materials like paper, colored paper, origami paper, stickers, scissors, um, glue. And that's how you encourage them to create whatever they want. So there's a lot of um, room for them to explore and experiment. And, you know, you can sit alongside and do some kind of craft with them as well. You can create something and they will feel very inspired by you and definitely very happy to know mommy is playing along them. Yep. So we have the books, we have the open-ended play, we have tinkering. And uh, thirdly, I would encourage you to do some kind of sensory play with the children. So kids are very, very curious when you put in some water beads, you freeze their toys, they will be very interested to know how, you know, to how these uh, sensations are affecting them, hot, cold, and that's why you can use it as a, a conversation prompt to teach them about, um, you know, science and also um, some kind of um, math if you want to, like adding, subtracting, using the manipulatives that they have. And finally, I think what parents should um, do with them indoor, you can do some gross motor activities like uh, obstacle course, hopscotch, getting them to create their own obstacle course by placing pillows, crawling under the table, having strings tying around, getting them to cross over. These are really good for kids to you know, work out and at the same time um, learn how to you know, build up that, uh, that brain, that part of the brain that helps them to balance because that will definitely help them to learn how to do seat work in the future. Absolutely. What a great idea. I know in this household, we do a lot of, I um, put their, their counters into balloons and then we freeze them in water and we colour the water. And then in the summer, we take a hammer out. All, all under supervision, I can tell you, but the boys love it. They love 
they're being able to throw this balloon that has their toys in it because they can't quite see what's in it and they know there's something in there. And then we do all this, so it's gross motor and then they, they can get the sensory of the, the hot and the cold and we put it out in the sun. But in England, it doesn't actually have that much sun. So not like, um, not that hot, not like Singapore. So it does take a while. Sometimes it needs a little bit of help to melt, let's put it that way. But thank you so much today. It's amazing. Um, I love how you look, talk about empowering children and or if they're younger, make them feel empowered so that they're making the decision and that parents are looking at changing perspective from the yelling to connecting in the positive parenting workshops. We really appreciate it. Now, can I ask you to um, let our listeners know how to get in touch with you if they want any advice or if they want to attend one of your workshops, even if it's online, if they're overseas? So... Yep, it is a virtual workshop. Uh, I only open the course a few times a year. So if you want to find out more, I'm most um, I'm mostly on social media. You can go to Instagram, Our Little Play Nest, or Facebook, Our Little Play Nest. In fact, you can go to my website, ourlittleplaynest.com, and sign up for that free positive parenting uh, learning series where I will send you bite-sized information about your children, about developing little one, your little ones, their minds, their brains, their bodies. And um, yeah, that's where I will also broadcast when I will open up my um, workshop from yelling to connecting. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to following your our little playness today. And actually, I've been reading some of your Straits Times articles as well. So I look forward to seeing some of the holiday activities that you put out in there when you do some more. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. There are so many relevant topics right now and EDX Education would love to hear from you. So please get in touch and subscribe to our podcast, Education Tips from the Experts with EDX Education, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, TuneIn and so many more channels. My name is Heather Welch from EDX Education. Let's all stay safe.